This episode is brought to you by Atomic Books. Atomic is an independent bookstore full of objects made of paper, vinyl, plastic, and various other actual materials at the edge of time. Specializing in literary comics, small press, art books, and great regional beer at 8 Bar in the back of the store. Come to 3620 Falls Road in Hamden or go to AtomicBooks.com. Upcoming from Essential Tremors Presents Our annual 7th Stainine Festival in D.C. on Saturday, June 18th at Rhizome. This year's D.C. edition will feature 12 artists and 3 DJs spread over 10 hours. Get tickets and more information at 7thstay9.com or at essentialpodcast.com. Also, Essential Tremors presents 7th Stay 9 Festival Milwaukee on Saturday, July 30th. Our inaugural Milwaukee version of the festival will feature 14 artists and run from 1 in the afternoon until midnight at Cactus Club. Get tickets and more information at 7thstay9.com or essentialpodcast.com. And I just remember like, like, like how do my body want to, this is why break dancers actually spin on their head because you're trying to find a way to express what you're feeling. Even as I'm thinking about it, my, my arm and legs and everything is moving right now because it, it was just that kind of musical calling. This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. Any discussion of the most important hip-hop of the last 30 years will, and should, include Wu-Tang Clan. Bursting onto the scene in 1993 with the release of their seminal first record, Enter the 36 Chambers, the energy, intensity, and anger of their songs, as well as a hugely talented ensemble nine members deep, made an indelible mark on the genre that's still evident today. Recognized as the unofficial leader of the group, RZA, born Robert Fitzgerald Diggs, has also worked as an actor in both film and television and has been recognized as one of the greatest hip-hop producers of all time by The Source, Vibe, and NME. The first song RZA chose as being formative for him was Walk On By by Dionne Warwick, as performed by Isaac Hayes. First song I want to talk about that was very inspirational to me is called Walk On By. 
The song was originally, I think, written by Bert Baccarat, and I think that um, one of the first recordings were done, was done by Dion Warwick. But the version that got me was the Isaac Hayes version, recorded uh, in the early 70s. Because Isaac Hayes was able to take this three-minute song and turn it into a 16-minute masterpiece. His orchestration of the song, Rise and Falls, and long intro before he even gives you one word of lyric, uh, it just was something for me as a listener to music. It just opened up my mind to the possibilities of what you can do and how you could stretch out an idea. And even though it's still called Walk On By, we all gotta agree that he made something totally original from the song that Bert Baccarat had wrote. Uh, it's been sampled in hip hop dozens and dozens of times. It's also made its appearance on one of my albums uh, with the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, called The W, where we did a song called I Can't Go to Sleep. And we was fortunate enough and lucky enough to get Isaac Hayes himself to come and make an appearance on that song. But it's de it was definitely one of those songs that's been very inspirational to me, uh, especially as now I am a film composer. And I think it was probably that song that was guiding my mind and leading me to be able to into that arena of film composing. Right. Well, no, you bring up an interesting point, right? Because something he did really more than I think most any artist working at the time he was doing that was he sort of created these musical films, right? On those like early 70s records or maybe late 60s, but early 70s for sure, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, once we talk about Isaac Hayes, we could pull up various songs. If you look at his version of The Look of Love, where he starts it with the flugelhorn, uh, and he keeps that going for a while until the drums and until he goes into the, the vocal. One of my favorites, too, that I've, you know, after becoming a fan of Isaac Hayes, I had a chance to uh, hear his 15 to 16 minute rendition of By the Time I Get to Phoenix. <laughs> and I just never forget playing that. Uh, it was actually during the, uh, when I was scoring the movie Ghost Dog is when this particular song became really prevalent to me. Um, it was something that he was doing in the song that I had to show my cousin ODB. And uh, we both, Listen to it like maybe three times back to back. So you know that took a long time. It took a we finished all the weed and beer <laughs> by the time we uh, got through it. But what what really was striking about the song is he held on a simple, you know, two bar progression as he told the story, and very little changes. The story was just rising and rising, and then when he starts singing, this music opens up and goes into phrases, longer phrases. But then when he gets to the end of the song and he brings the brass, I 
I was like, yo, what a phrase of music. And it also was like modulated every turnaround. It's kept modulating. And you think about, you know, me as a as a hip hop producer at that time, but striving to find more expression in myself and more expressions in my music. Uh, if if I don't hear things like that, if I'm not aware of what of what could be, then I'm not aware of where I could go. And so I give a lot of respect to Isaac Hayes for giving me that uh, that insight and foresight. When would you have heard? Um, when would you have heard "Walk On By"? At what point of your in the, of your life and your career? I mean, I think I first heard "Walk On By" in the early '80s, um, and then I think I owned a copy of it by 1984. I owned a copy, and I think by the time I got an SP1200 in 1990, I I started sampling from it. You know, your early work as a producer. You know, people um, really grabbed onto it because it had this like um, was so uh, raw feeling for you know compared to a lot of stuff that was out at the time. Um, but clearly, your work blossomed and developed in a lot of directions uh, from there pretty quickly. Uh, you know, so I mean, maybe some people still think of that as your sound, that kind of basic raw thing. But hearing you talk about this, it's like. Maybe that uh, that development, maybe that's where some of this comes from. Yeah, when you think about it, like whether it's subconscious or conscious, you know, in the beginning of my career, I was probably striving at, at my hardest to be not classified as anything but hip hop. So I was striving not to be classified as soul music, as rock music, as R&B, as jazz, as funk, uh, even though... My peers, you know, were, were being classified. Tribe Called Quest was considered funk. I mean, pardon, Tribe Called Quest was jazz. Uh, Guru and Gangstar had the jazz. Uh, Dr. Dre and everyone had the funk and the G-funk. Um, um, you know, I was striving, you know, to say this is, this is just hip hop. <laughs> and I think it was, you know, the grittiness of it, the rawness of it. But then if you, if I do look back on my first album, Into the 36 Chambers, I do have a song called Bring the Ruckus, which subconsciously I could see that I'm orchestrating there. And I'm not orchestrating with the consciousness of what a C chord is and what a progression would be, because I didn't know what that was. But I knew this way that I had, the music had to change. It had to modulate. It had to be unpredictable. If you listen to Bring the Ruckus, I think it's in the middle. It's like on a six count when the music just changes to a whole new thing. And by the time you get to the hook, it's like it's it. it then it evolved, then you know what it is. You don't even know if you listen to that song. You don't even know what it is. What is it trying to say? Yet it starts off on God, my Wu Tang style, and, and then the guy comes and boom, just the, the 808 kicks in, the drums kick in, a little bit of string noise, Ghostface start rapping. And when, he, when the beat drops on him, it still doesn't give you the goal of the music. And then when Raekwon comes in, I watch my back like I'm locked down. Oh, cool hitting sound. Watch me act buck and tear down. And when he says a little bit type asshole, and then the beat go, doom, 
Then it, it starts developing. Then the hook comes in on top of that. And then it's like, oh, I see what he was striving to get to. Recently, we voted out with an orchestra. They be voted out. And it is a well-composed song with just using weird sounds and samples to try to tell a story. Even the CD skipping itself. I sampled the CD skipping because it sounded like a horn to me. It was like, bam, 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 bam. I was like, that sounds like somebody playing a, a horn. I mean... Let me sample that and slow it down. And I did it and it became part of the song. But going back to what we're saying here, yeah, it's very, it's very possible that the subconsciousness of listening to Isaac Hayes and the way that he was composing his music had to have a bearing on me. And, and eventually, man, I became friends and he actually mentored me later on when I became Bobby Digital. So it all makes sense that there was something going on there. The second song Rizzo chose is essential to his formation as an artist was Where Do I Begin? Theme from Love Story by Francis Lay and performed by Andy Williams. Song number two, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Love Story. I'm going to choose this song, Love Story, because um, we actually use it in my new album called Saturday Afternoon Kung Fu Theater. And this, the track is produced by DJ Scratch. Um... This song, this piece of music, you know, played by many musicians over the years. I mean, there's so many renditions of it. Um, I can't right now totally recall the, the writer, the two writers of it. Um, but what's beautiful about this particular piece of music is, is the many renditions of it. And each time somebody translated it, whether they did it on guitar, piano, or strings, you always uh, you always hear it and feel it differently. But it but it still has an impact on your emotions. And the movie, of course, is a great film. Um, I saw it late in my career. I, saw, I didn't see the movie until late '90s, uh, but it fell. In, I fell in love with it and watched it maybe four or five times in my life. And the reason why I'm bringing this up as a as, as a song of inspiration for me is the structure of the song, the simple circles of fifths that it uses uh, to, to for its movement is is once again it's educational for a composer. Um, when DJ Scratch sent me the track for the song we have on my album called Never uh, Love Again, I asked him, uh, you know where this sample is from, right? He thought, he first thought that it was from Gonna Fly Now from Rocky. He thought 
because it was I because it's they're very similar in nature, and you can see that maybe Bill Conti as well was inspired by Love Story, um, and especially the. You can hear that. You can hear Rocky and Love Story having a very similar thing. And both, you know, Bill Conti, his 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 Rocky soundtrack is beautiful. I would advise anybody to take a chance to listen to it. You know, I was going to actually use that as my inspiration, but I but I wanted to go to the original uh, form of. Of, of that sound and that movement that was used for Hollywood composing. Um, and Love Story is it. So on our song, there's a very small part that DJ Scratch sampled. Uh, and then he made the turnaround in an awkward place. So he basically, he sampled it from the middle of the bar and then repeating it. So. It's almost like once again, it's 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 picking up from the six and going back. So six fourth would be the count of it. And uh, right. And that's not the one of of the music, but. It's the it's the like I said it's the it's in the middle it's the, the the two or the six of it, and when you loop it from there you get a whole different groove especially when you put these drums on it, and so it's one of my favorite songs on on, on my new album, uh, and uh, it's just a lot of inspiration and that's why I wanted to talk about this song. Well, you know, it isn't that the the um, the the challenge and the artistry and probably the fun of like sampling and producing is finding the thing that maybe shouldn't work and making it work. Right. You know, or the, the thing no one would expect. And then, uh, you know, we had a, we had a conversation once for the show about um, I think like uh, there was uh, Dilla using some Donovan uh, record and making uh some, you know, famous beat out of it um, or some, you know, some French singer, you know, and I'm, I, you know, there's a zillion examples of that stuff. And yeah, I'm sure you've got a zillion of your own. Right. But finding the things that aren't supposed to work or shouldn't work and making them work in a new way. Right. That's what hip hop is. You know, hip hop has done that very well. Even if you look at more aspects of hip hop from the dance by taking, you know, all forms of dance and then turn it into break dancing. You know, even incorporating kung fu moves and martial arts stances into your breakdance. Um, the the art of hip hop, you know, not having the canvas to paint on, but having a can of paint and using the wall for your canvas and creating big murals, uh, which is not easy, right? Even if it was just letters or just the pictures, you know, and now, it, you know, you look at Bansky, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big art form. Um, hip hop has done that, you know, taking clothes, whether it was a Ralph Lauren uh, pair of pants and then pitting it with a with an Adidas sneaker. Like, like, like those weren't meant to go together in reality, right? It was maybe loafers would have went with it in its original 
conception and with the mannequin. The mannequin never had on Adidas with it, <laughs> right? Point being made, hip hop. So hip hop has been that. Um, and definitely with the music, I think one thing that was overlooked by hip hop um, is the complexity of what it is to make the track. And in some cases, on you know, some songs, you know, there is, it's more easier, no disrespect to my peers, but if you take a song like Can't Touch This, yeah, he just took that, he lifted that groove and put a tempo on it um, and performed over it. But in a lot of cases, is hip hop is taking four or five or six different songs and making one track out of it. A kick from here, a snare from here, a horn from here, a bass from here. Uh, and, it, and and you have to put all that together and it has to work sonically and it has to create a vibe and hip hop does that. And I think the more we look at it on a academic level, scholastic level and musical level, we'll realize that a lot of these creations are purely work of art and very unique and, and very unique to itself. Right, right. I'm struck by the fact that both of your picks so far have very much been about orchestration, uh, which makes a lot of sense, really, considering, you know, your work over um, uh, many years. I'm curious. I mean, you do all sorts of things now. Um, and, you know, you, of course, still do music, but, you know, you maybe don't do it, uh, at least not for public consumption at the same pace that you did. When you're out somewhere, do you still hear something and go, yeah, that could be something? Yeah, it's funny now that I'm, I heard it, I, I definitely still have that sampler mindset. I mean, I can always find a part of the song. We was eating dinner last night and uh, um, Stevie Wonder's song came on. And in the middle of a phrase, I just heard like, oh, somebody said, somebody, I won't do it, but somebody should get that piece. <laughs> somebody should capture that. Yeah, so I'm always hearing it that way. Um, and then as a composer, though, I was honestly say this with you, Lee, as a composer now, I've been going backwards, you know, listening to a lot of music from the 50s, a lot of Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, uh, Etta James, uh, Louis Armstrong. I've been really going back, re-educating re, re myself. You know, there's also a great documentary by Ken Burns called Jazz, which is like a 15... Uh, DVD set, I think 10 to 15, I'm only up to like six or seven. So I got, I still got some time to go. But I, I went to re-educate myself because I actually miss jazz. I was so hip hop that I overlooked the true beauty of what jazz is and what it was and what it did for the progression of music. And I, I mean, I knew Thelonious Monk and Bill Evans, but there's so many greats that I overlooked or just wasn't, didn't put my time to be academic about it. And I and I and now I am. And when you go back and now you listen to Nat King Cole and you listen to Frank Sinatra, and once again, you're realizing these arrangements. These arrangements are incredible. And you, 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 you then realize that some of these standards that they're doing, and sometimes, sometimes they, they may both cover the same song, but very different arrangement. And then you may go to the 70s and hear Donnie Hathaway cover cover one with a whole nother approach. So it's been very opening, mind opening for me as a composer, because one thing I always strive to do is tell a story in my music. 
and it means that even if nobody was rapping, you should be able to listen to the music and get a story out of it and get some images and inspiration out of it without singing or rapping on top of it. And I always strive to do that. And now as a composer, like I know what the progression is. I know about I, I know jazz is a two, five, seven, right? <laughs> and I and I know I get uh I know gospel. I mean I know I know I know all the progressions now. Not all of them, but I know many of them. I've, I've studied them now. And um it's a, it's incredible on how you could tell those tell stories every time using these structures. And then being from a hip hop world, I'm not binded or bonded by any particular structure, right? So if I wanted to do go rock and roll and I wanted to go one, six, right? Down to the fourth and come up to the fifth, I could do that. And knowing that I could tell my story that way and you won't even know it's rock and roll because I could do it that way in an orchestrated way as I've been listening to all this music to help me understand that. You're listening to Essential Tremors. After the break, we'll hear more about our guests' essential songs. The final piece of music Rizza chose as being crucial to him was The Apache Break, performed by the incredible Bongo Band. I'm going to take it to uh, just a classic break beat. It's called Apache. Um, I think it was first recorded by uh, Harlem Bongo Band or something like that. We'll, we'll pull that up. Uh, sometimes I get bad on the names because there's been so many editions. But this song is called Apache. This song actually did change my life. Because this is a song that I remember hearing around the age of seven years old. And it made me want to get on the floor and dance. (laughs) It made me feel the spirit of hip hop. Um, And it's always done that to me. It has such a it was such a cool structure. And once again, it's a very well orchestrated song. Um, but when I first heard it, the DJ didn't play the whole song. He started with the beat, the first drum beat. Like, what is this? Like, what the heck? And I just remember like, like, like how do my body wanted, this is why break dancers actually spin on their head because you're trying to find a way to express what you're feeling. Even as I'm thinking about it, my, my arm and legs and everything is moving right now because it, it was just that kind of musical calling. 
And I didn't know I was going to be an MC at that time. I didn't know I was going to be a producer. I was just a kid who shouldn't have been at the block party, who got his ass whipped later on when he went home, but was there and heard this thing coming out of those big speakers and forever changed my life and forever, you know, I knew I was going to do hip hop because, I, the, you know, the rapper, a guy said a few things on a microphone over it. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, yo. A freak week, yo. I'm like, yo. And I was, I was in touched and enamored and and never left that feeling and 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 hopefully able to share that feeling with others throughout my career. This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore. Look for and subscribe to all of WYPR's podcasts. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.